0: Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Come on
1: around back, Arizona, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the House, your Saturday morning tradition since 1988. If you're following along in your homeowner handbook, a free service we offer to you, the Arizona listener, we have cover, uh, you know, what we will be covering uh, each week during the radio broadcast, you know, we're talking about summer landscaping today, and we've got Aaron Merkel of Core Landscaping sitting in. We have a beautiful morning today. I was feeding the horses early this morning and thought, oh, man, this is this is really just such a nice time. It's a nice overcast. The sun was just coming up. There was a slight breeze, kind of kind of getting a break to that
2: uh, record breaking heat this this summer. That's right. We need a break too. We we need a break and we need some rain, we we definitely need rain, which we
1: might be getting this weekend. So hopefully that uh, that comes up from the uh, Baja, the Pacific. I I've never I'm not used to hurricanes coming up on the the Pacific side. It's always coming through the Atlantic. It throws my my brain off just to think about it, but. We will have uh, Ray joining us in the next segment talking about what to do with the rain as it relates to the weeds and uh, proper techniques for pre-emergent. But let's get started today talking about the transition that's coming up Uh, when the weather starts to break uh, for people that have summer and winter lawns that we're getting geared up to uh, our transition period.
2: Yeah, so... <clears throat> most commonly people are, you know, thinking about overseeding their lawns sometime around September, or October. Uh, most commercial entities start their seeding process in September because they have so many properties that they have to seed that they need, you know, the time to, to be able to do that. Typically, uh, you could start in September, but again, most homeowners are waiting till October. And there's a pretty lengthy process that you have to follow to have your seed germinate properly. Um, it begins with selecting the right seed. You know, most of the time when you go to the store, you see all different types of seed that are available on the market. And the important difference between them is not necessarily if you're just looking for a rye grass, but the seed or the weed concentration in that seed. So the cheaper seeds, you can look at the labels on the seed packets and it'll actually give you the breakdown of what's inside of it. But the cheaper seeds are going to have a higher weed concentration and the more expensive seeds will have a lower weed concentration. And essentially all that means is that when you seed your grass, you'll have ryegrass that comes in, but you'll just have weeds that come in with that, that kind of mimic a green color, if that makes sense. It does. So it's important that most lawns that are of an average size – to not kind of cheap out on purchasing the seed because it really doesn't cost that much money to cover most of normal sized lawns in in the valley here. Uh, Obviously those that are very large, it it can start adding up quickly, but for the most part it's not.
1: Well, and as long as you can enjoy a winter lawn, I mean, it's it's properly maintained and cared for. You can get into May, June. We still have uh, some of the ryegrass underneath the mulberry trees, you know, late, late August. It's still green. There's no reason to go cheap for that you know the duration of time that you're getting it the the, the fractions of a pennies that it amounts to per day
2: it, it just does not make sense to go cheap on the seed. Exactly. And I don't know if there's proof of this or not, but I'm convinced that they started manufacturing winter rice seed to withstand hotter temperatures because we're seeing it year over year last longer into the transitional spring season than it than it has in years past. So I think that, especially in shaded areas, but sunny areas too, the seed is just lasting longer than it traditionally has. And
1: it, it could be a manufacturer thing. It could, uh, you know, uh, who knows. But we're coming up to the seeding time. And one thing I have noticed, like you were talking about, I usually try and schedule my overseeding for Halloween weekend. Mm-hmm. Because uh, then by Thanksgiving, you usually have a pretty pretty good blanket going. But if you wait that long to buy seed, you may not
2: have the option to buy good seed. Exactly. So regardless of what is going on in your schedule and your timing, at least purchase the seed and have it on hand. And you can seed the, the yard whenever you want to. I mean, I've talked to people before that they have neighborhoods that are extremely busy. And lots of kids trick-or-treating for Halloween. And they know that those kids are going to cut right across their lawn when they try to go up to the front door. So they want that seed established before Halloween. Other people, that's not a concern to them. And they put up a little, you know, temporary picket fence or something like that and kind of encourage people not to, not to walk on top of it.
1: So seed selection is important. Do you have a particular uh, blend you look for or manufacturer or a, a, a favorite place to buy?
2: You know, um, I believe a lot of people go to big box retailers like Home Depot and Lowe's. And I would just say that Ewing Irrigation, there's a location all across the valley. There's probably a location within 10, 15 minutes of just about any house um, in Maricopa County. They carry a couple different varieties of seed and their seed uh, performs exceptionally well. But if you just even went to any irrigation supply house, this is where commercial companies are purchasing their seed. And so naturally, even buying the lowest quality seed is still going to be a better quality than a bigger box store.
1: And I I shouldn't ask you this. I hate covering pricing on the radio because then it gets stuck in people's mind. But uh, do you know off the top, you know, for 1,000 square feet, you can expect to spend what
2: on your seed? You know... um, as of the past couple years, there's been a couple issues with seed shortages. So I know prices have kind of gone all over the place. I will say that one downside of purchasing seed at one of these commercial vendors is that you can't necessarily buy it in smaller bags like you could at Home Depot. So if you don't need more than 500 feet or 1,000 square feet, you're going to have leftover. But I would say a bag, maybe on average, you might be looking between 100 to $200. Not not very expensive. And if there's a couple people
1: on the street doing it... Exactly. You know, split that bag and it'll be enough to cover,
2: you know, four or five little front lawn walk-ups. 100%. And so the other cost-saving metric to this is that commercial companies also use something called starter fertilizer. And once they seed the lawn, they'll put down a starter fertilizer and it just kind of helps get the seed to germinate quicker and more effectively. But they're not rolling out, um, you know, mulch top dressing across acres of a community. So they're just using starter fertilizer, and all their seed comes in very well. So I'd say that if you're used to covering your yard with mulch, you could try entertaining the idea of using a starter fertilizer instead of mulch. Save the cost on the mulch, and you'd still have a lawn that would germinate just fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna try that this year because I we do do the mulch top coating, but.
1: My, my lawn, it just keeps getting thicker and taller and taller and <laughs> taller. And taller. I, I've got to go around, and I had to pull up all my sprinkler heads and add a, you know an extra two inches on the riser just so when it pops up, it can get above the grass to, to get the lawn
2: wet. Of course. And, I mean, sometimes you have bare spots in your yard, and so mulch is good to not only act as a moisture barrier but to hold the seed in place from runoff from sprinkler heads and whatnot. But you don't have to put it everywhere it's absolutely more important that the other steps as far as maintenance are concerned are taken so that your seed, you know, makes contact with the soil. And
1: so we've got our seed selection, we've got it applied. You can do the starter fertilizer or the mulch. Um, What, you know, the the temperature and making sure that that seed never dries out, I've always been told is a very critical step in, in the process.
2: It is, um, you know, I believe we'll talk about controllers, and we'll maybe go more in depth with those um, soon here. But most irrigation controllers only allow you the ability to run, say, three to four times a day because you might have a shrub system and a tree system and other things going on, and so you don't have other programs you can utilize to get more start times. But to your point, it's absolutely more important that you have – as many start times as you can that are spaced out, which is very short cycles to keep it moist throughout the day. And you could expect with the right recipe uh, to germinate your seed in say 14 to 21 days.
1: A Couple of text questions that have come in for you. We'll rifle through real quick. And if you'd like to join the conversation, one 767 4348. That's one triple eight. Rosie for you. It'll get you in touch with Aaron Marco of Core Landscaping and Irrigation. Or text questions are sent to 411 923. First one Do seeds have an expiration date?
2: That's a debatable topic because if you buy the seeds one year, you can theoretically hold them at least for the next year and, and reuse it. So, again, if you do buy a bag that you don't need as much of, and you don't have any neighbors that want to pool and share in the cost, yes, you could absolutely use it for the next year. I'm not sure about how many years after that that it would be viable, though. And, of course, it's dependent on what um, environment you store it in. If you're storing it in something that's going to keep it exceptionally hot all year long, the seeds might dry out before the following year, and hence they wouldn't germinate. Which
1: it was the second question, can I store excess seed in my garage? It would probably be a better place to put them inside. The laundry room might be a better place. Um, and they come in burlap sacks, but if you're going to store it inside, you could pour it in a five-gallon bucket or a two-and-a-half-gallon bucket, put the lid on it, and that'd be a much cleaner way to bring it inside the home.
2: Of course. Or uh, take the burlap sack and at least tie it off as best as possible. But you're right. it's it, air's going to get in. temperature's going to get into it. So just keeping it in a favorable environment. I mean, even... Home Depot and these types of stores that are selling seed are keeping it in a climate-controlled facility. They're not leaving it outside. So, absolutely recommended.
1: Alright, we're getting through our winter, our, our summer to winter lawn transition here at Rosie on the House. More, right after this. I'm pulling weeds. One at a time Anything that chokes life Out of who I want Well, if you don't want to be pulling weeds one at a time, we've got Ray Lopez of Scottsdale Weed Control joining us on the line for this segment. Aaron, you mentioned we need the rain. Uh, The forecast says we may be getting it. And if that does happen, we're going to get to see trillions of seeds germinate across the desert. be like a little carpet blanket across. And uh, a lot of HOAs uh, don't really welcome that onto your home. A lot of, uh, we have seen some fires. We want to make sure we're keeping that down around the brush area. Ray, are, are you just like licking your chops waiting for this rain to get here?
0: I am waiting, and we've been pre-emerging for a month now, so.
1: And if somebody hasn't pre-emerged yet, is it too late to get something done today?
0: No, pre-emerging today right now as we speak. Uh, just taking a break from a job. And we will be pre-emerging all the way for the fall and the spring weed. So we're, we're good. We just we can pre-emerge all year long, actually.
1: And so what are we treating for at this time? If somebody misses that cycle, what, what's our fall weed crop?
0: Well, that's a $64,000 question, Romy. There's a lot of different uh, species coming up right now. A lot of the spurge. coming up we get the red stem fillery and the we're going to start getting the grasses in the spring and those are the ones that are fire hazards so this pre-emergent now is going to control all those the winter and the spring weeds so it's just a plethora of different weeds so whatever they are it's just not going to control nuts edge or bermuda grass but any of the other weeds that we have around the valley here up, up north in rio verde Uh, that's where we're going to concentrate up over there on those bigger properties.
1: And it's not that we can't do nutgrass or Bermuda. We're just past the cycle of catching it. It's already going dormant and kind of shutting down for the winter. So it would be a different pre-emergent cycle that we would have to treat for that.
0: Well, the uh, the pre-emerging in, so if we're doing our lawn, we would pre-emerge in about a month for the winter weeds for poanna, things like that that come up if you're not going to overseed. I, I think you had a guy on earlier that's going to overseed. Some lawns are left dormant. If they're left dormant we can pre emerge in those lawns to avoid any type of uh, any type of the uh hen beds and the spurge and the uh, uh the poanna. So those are good times in September, October to treat for those. For, yep. the, for the lawns, but on the granite areas, we just treat when whenever you want, and if we miss a cycle on it, we can put a material to kill the weeds that are there, and then we'll break that cycle because the pre-emergent won't let the other weeds come up.
1: And that was my kind of let, led into my next question, because you know, there's going to be a lot that are going to miss the pre-emergent cycle or haven't done it, and what... What do they do now when the weeds come up? Because it's, you know, it, well, it, it's amazing. They start at little sorry. tiny heads, and then it's like in two days, they're the size of your palm. And then in five days, they're up to your knees.
0: Right. We're already seeing some HOA areas with weeds about six inches tall and some areas that have not pre-emerged. We can get those. We just do a comprehensive treatment with pre- and post-emergent. It kills the weeds that are there. The pre-emergent won't let the other weeds come through. Most of the weeds that are small will just break down and die. If they're a certain height, they're going to have to be raked out maybe in three to four weeks. So I would you know, recommend anybody who's getting a pre and post-emergent done, if the weeds are actively growing, give it some time. Let the systemic material work, absorb in the plant and get in there and kill the root and then uh, rake it out. Just gently rake it out. It'll just crumble and nothing, break it, blow it, and you're brand new now. And you don't have any weeds coming up for at least six months. And
1: with this long of drought that we've had with the rain uh, from the fall till now, you know, we kind of forget about the weeds because there hasn't. it seems like we're, we're struggling just to keep things surviving. But the, yeah. when that rain hits, the amount of weeds that are going to pop up, it's going to catch a lot of people by surprise. So if somebody's at there's, home right now, yeah. any kind of land, what would be your advice to them?
0: Well, the drought's been at the airport. So I've seen up north and other areas, <laughs> we've been having rain. It's just the airport hasn't had any rain. So they're saying there's no rain. I've got weeds on this property right here. There's, there's weeds coming up through the gravel. So, obviously, something's hitting the the gravel, and we have had some. It doesn't take much rain to get some of these weeds to grow through. Um, My advice to people get the pre emergent done, even if you don't see any weeds at all. The pre emergent is what you're paying the money for. So, if you can get that pre emergent down, we get a rain on within 60 days, that'll incorporate the pre emergent, and then the weeds don't come through and you just you just don't see anything. So I never get a thank you or a pat on the back because they only call me if there's a problem. So it it's not a it's a hard business to be in because you never get any thanks. So <laughs> well, I only get complaints. <laughs> and I don't get many complaints cuz we use two different pre-emergents. They work very well. They're very safe for pets or children. You can re-enter the area after 20 minutes. Very safe.
2: Hey, Ray, if uh, <clears throat> you pre-emerge the property in the rocks, can they put? Uh, can they install plants still afterwards?
0: Absolutely. And we can even spray after they put the plants in. What I do is if, if you've already placed the plant there, I just stay about two feet out of your plant zone. And if you haven't planted, say the hole's already dug. We just stay around out of the, we don't go into the plant hole. I just did a job two days ago, (coughs) excuse me, where there was a plant, about 18 plant holes for the plant. Because they didn't plant, it was just too hot to plant. Ray
1: Lopez, Scottsdale Weed Control, thank you for spending us a few minutes uh, between jobs this morning. Sorry, we can do a lot of of things here at the House, but we can't stop the clock. More after this. My crash really can't
0: seem to get the world off of my back. Nothing runs like a deer, so One triple eight
1: seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Eldon's next on the line. Good morning, sir. Welcome to the program. How may we help you? Yes. Uh, this is Elden. Yes, sir. Go ahead.
3: Yes. Uh we've had a lawn for about fifty years and uh uh, maintained it reasonably well, but we've noticed the last uh, few years we're starting to get brown spots and we're we're getting uh, bald spots, and uh, we're kind of having to relook at our situation. Uh, I guess my first question is: uh, I've heard pros and cons of going ahead and leaving the clippings on the lawn uh, and uh, and mowing it high, and we're not sure whether maybe that's what we should be doing now because of so much heat. So do you have any particular recommendation on that?
2: Uh, Eldon, thanks for calling. Um, How big would you say that the brown spots are in your lawn, and how many of them would you estimate?
3: Oh, I would say that probably um, four or five brown spots and and basically uh, maybe uh, maybe uh, 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 my wife's trying to give me information (laughs) here in the background, so I'll, I'll try to. Uh, we're we're talking about the front lawn right now and so the the basically there's uh uh it's hard to say i would say maybe um, maybe uh, three feet in diameter mm-hmm. uh, maybe two or three like that in the front lawn and uh, then uh, you know some bare spots and then we've got some brown spots about the same size we're you- talking front line right front yard right now
2: Okay. Have you looked at your sprinkler system recently to determine your coverage and make sure you still have head-to-head coverage and your sprinklers are functioning properly?
3: Well, we we haven't. Uh, so that's probably number one thing to do. Uh, we do think that that part of it is because of the sprinkler system, and uh, we we've, we've had some difficulty with some of the sprinkler system. Um, uh, for, you know, the sprinkler system uh, coverage with uh, the company that we work with, so we may have to get a different company.
2: Yeah, pretty, of course, sprinklers are one of the, a key component to making sure your lawn can green up, but there's a bunch of other things that you could do and check. Uh, most importantly, just determining how deep the water is actually making it into the root system instead of just surface watering. So I'd recommend starting with the sprinklers and then working your way from there once you have some conclusions on what could be done. And that transitions into what you wanted to talk about, about the prep before you seed.
1: You know, this is a great time uh, scalping, core aerating, uh, cr- prepping that soil to take the new seed is a big part of the correct germination process.
2: Of course. So, you know, kind of like what we talked about earlier, the seeds, they have to make contact with that dirt. If they're sitting on top of a layer of thatch or they're sitting on top of grass, they're just not going to germinate because they need to work them th- the way into the soil. So step one, um, you know, everyone thinks just scalp your lawn as short as you can. And truthfully, scalping it very short is less important than dethatching your lawn. Over time, when you mow your lawn over the course of the entire mowing season through the hot months, even if you bag your clippings or don't bag your clippings, little amounts of grass will continually feed their way into your, into your lawn. And over time, by the time you, you're ready to overseed, and it doesn't happen every single year, But by the time you're ready to overseed, you develop a layer of thatch. And so it's real important that you use a dethatching machine and pull that whole layer of thatch up. And basically envision it like you get a haircut and you're thinning out your hair. It's basically the same concept for your lawn. You're just thinning it out, really opening up that soil and allowing that seed to make contact. Now, a dethatcher, though, that's not just something
1: you're going to be able to go throw in your trunk. (laughs) <laughs> you got yeah, you, you to <laughs> be prepared to rent a trailer with it as well. If you don't have enough muscle to get it
2: into the bed of the truck, you know, that that's, this is a process. It is. And so, you know, to the earlier conversation that we had about, if you were to buy a bag of seed, that was too big. Maybe some of your neighbors would want to go in on it. Same concept here. You go to a tool rental uh, company. Oftentimes they rent out little trailers too, and you can rent the machine um, you could tell them you're looking for a dethatching machine, they call it a power rake, it's the same exact thing, and bring it home and just do all the lawns at once, or maybe find a, a landscaper that has that equipment that could do it for you. And if I'm doing
1: that, and I'm getting the trailer, and I'm getting a power rake, does it make sense to get a core aerator
2: at the same time? You could. Um, now, aerating and dethatching are two different things, they're both beneficial to your turf, but... Core aerating is really just loosening up that organic layer of soil and allowing everything to go down into the, the ground where the roots are at. Um, not that it's not important, but for seeding, you know, it's important to remember that winter rye only seeds about, say, an inch below grade. So if you don't aerate it, your seed will still germinate. It's more important aerating for your warm season turf.
1: Now... A lot of broken sprinkler heads can happen with either one of those pieces of equipment. So you want to make sure those get marked accurately and you don't uh, push up too close to it. Uh, But like Eldon had earlier, you know, 50-year-old lawn. I don't know if his sprinkler system had gotten upgraded since then. Um, And you were saying about checking that, you know, that's the next step. We can do all the soil prep, but if we don't have good, even... Irrigation it's not going to do any good and the efficiencies that we can have with the reduction of water with you know our, our modern equipments pretty impressive
2: of course and I mean in his case in particular sometimes lawns wear out I mean it's a common thing <laughs> that we get you know it's been this good for so many years but sometimes they just wear out and they have to yet to start over I was kind of wondering that myself he said
1: it's been 50 years I'm like how, how long will that a Tiflon really lasts. Is, is that at the end of its life where we should completely scalp and start over?
2: It could be, you know, and if that's something that he was thinking about, sprinkler coverage would still be of the utmost importance regardless of what the outcome is. But starting over, see if he does it at the right time and scrapes all that Tiff out of there and resods it with Tif, he'll actually get an over sod. And so he'll get the first year he won't have to worry about seeding and then for the next warm season it'll come back automatically so he won't have to worry about anything for the winter until the following winter might be might be something to entertain and when we're, we're doing our irrigation
1: upgrade um, you know I, I see a lot where it used to come up and it just spray and I'm seeing a lot of rotary ones now that uh, they get touted pretty, pretty
2: heavily by the industry do you have a preference most of the installs that we do on new turf areas or renovating spaces involve the use of a sprinkler nozzle called an MP rotator. It's made by Hunter. And the MP rotator puts out more of a droplet of water instead of a fan. Um, Some customers prefer the fan nozzles because they want to visually see tons of water all (laughs) over the place. But the MP rotators are designed to um, not only save water because they use about 30% less, but by putting less water on the turf at one time, the, the logic is that the turf will be able to absorb that water without creating runoff. You know, sometimes you drive down neighborhoods and you see water and the curbs are on the sidewalks and it's not benefiting any of the actual turf. So this is designed to kind of alleviate that amongst many other things
1: that's always something that drives me nuts is when you see water running down the concrete it's not doing any good it's you know it's costing you money to run that water and it's just water wasted as it coming off your irrigation lot if the rain's running down it fine you can't do anything about that but (laughs) if you're paying to water concrete uh,
2: man that one has always been a head scratcher for me it has and uh There's just, you know, and it's not just MP rotators. There's a bunch of high-efficiency heads you could use, but water getting on concrete, I mean, sometimes it's unavoidable. Non-right angles, locations where you have sprinkler heads, uh, some of it's going to have overspray. There's not much you can do about it. Just try to minimize as much of it as possible. And smart irrigation timers, you
1: know, back to the controller box, you're talking that you know, some may only have four start times, but what would it cost me to get that sprinkler box upgraded to something I could communicate
2: with my phone on? You know, it's really cool, actually. We, we manage a lot of them. Um, and, again, the same manufacturer, the sprinkler nozzles, Hunter, makes a controller called a Hunter Hydrowise, And we install a lot of Hydrowise controllers because it allows us to have a contractor portal as well as the customer to have a portal. And it's something so simple that if the customer doesn't want to have involvement in it or if they don't know how to do something, all they have to do is message us and we'll make the change for them. So it's a, it's a very convenient way where we don't have to schedule site visits and they have to wait all this time to get things done. But what it really boils down to is just unlimited capabilities of setting changes. I mean, you can run your irrigation 200 times a day if you wanted to. It It, it will literally let you put in any inputs that you want to. You shouldn't have a need to
1: do that 200 <laughs> times a day if you've got it properly uh, calibrated and, and engineered, but you, you've you got the option.
2: You do, <laughs> and, and I'll say this too. Sometimes throughout the year, if you're on SRP, they have a water rebate, and you have to attend a webinar. They've moved it to a webinar. At least they used to have it that way. And if you attend that webinar, they'll actually sell you that controller for about cheaper than you normally pay for it. So if you're willing to wait the time to do that, I'm not sure when the next one is, but I I do know there's incentives with the power companies. And would you have to be an SRP customer to get that? Or if you take the webinar,
1: they'll still get it to you if, if you're not on their irrigation district?
2: Romy, that sounds like an excellent question for SRP.
1: (laughs) To be honest, I'm not sure. There you go. Well, they've got a great website you can get information on. I would, I would anticipate you probably have to be on it, and they do have a lot of things in the summer or uh, springtime. They've got the uh, shade tree plant program that they do, and uh, a lot, a lot of education through SRP. So you can just jump on their website and and search through there and, and dig a little deeper. Now. I don't think there's anything, is there anything untouched we haven't hit in our winter lawn conversion here?
2: You know, um, the only other maybe couple points that I'd add to it is keep some extra seed once you're done seeding first because when you seed you're going multiple passes and you think you have it all laid out. but. Then the birds come in and take some of it off your lawn, and then the <laughs> sprinkler breaks and floods an area and creates a bald spot. So keep some extra so you can go back and reseed after you start to see it come in. And the the second thing I'll say is, um, it doesn't it, it doesn't always come in. You know, it doesn't always take twenty one days to come in. Sometimes it'll start coming in at ten, and you'll start seeing it then, and you won't really know if it's going to fill in. Certain areas just take a little bit longer to come up, so just be patient with it. And after you've waited a couple weeks, then you can really start to see, you know, where it's full and where it's not and where you need a little bit extra. Especially
1: if you've put a mulch layer on top. The thicker mulch layers always take longer for, you know, the, the sprouts to come through. But usually those end up to end up being the thickest areas of the lawn. Right, the <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. All right. We have one final segment coming up. When we get there, we're going to talk about, you know, what to do if you're not going to do a winter lawn, all the other things that are available to enjoy, you know, the next eight, nine months of, you know, stick your hand outside right now. Tell me tell me that's just not a beautiful Arizona morning, and we'll help you enjoy that in your backyard oasis right after this. The- All right, final segment and one final point on the lawns. You're talking about the sprinkler heads and, you know, if you've got one that breaks and it creates a flood, it could wash all your seed out. So do an irrigation sprinkler head check before your, uh, you know,
2: final seed application. Of course. I mean, it's something we do all the time year round, especially during overseeding. Uh, We go out to a lot of properties and do it and it's essentially just a home inspection for your sprinkler system realign the heads clean them out adjust them make sure you have head-to-head coverage you know just because you're just because you're getting water spraying out of them you still have to make sure that it's adequate and you don't have you know oversaturation in one location under in another so just kind of checking everything out making sure it's right and making sure your seed will come in properly
1: all right let's talk about an indefinite lawn transition or maybe not indefinite but you know how long would a synthetic grass last in arizona done properly
2: done properly, most synthetic turf will last minimum 10 years. Most are going to be 10 to 20 years warranty, depending on which you know brand you went with. I usually tell people when we do conversions, it doesn't make sense to buy the cheapest synthetic turf because the cost difference of even just moving up to a mid-range turf is not much more expensive. And It's the same process to install it, whether you use the cheapest one or the most expensive one. Same kind of concept as carpet in your house. You don't want to use the cheapest one because the install method is going to be the same way. The material cost isn't, you know, the the driver. The
1: investment for the higher quality material is worth it in the long run and
2: will be cheaper
1: in the long run because it's going to last longer.
2: Absolutely. And like you said, the, the way that it's installed... Because you can have a very expensive material that's stretched to the edges and it wasn't seamed properly or wasn't tacked properly. And if it has to be undone and reinstalled, sometimes it won't always reinstall the same way that it came out. So it's very important that the necessary steps are taken to have a successful installation. And when you guys do a synthetic install, what are the pain points for
1: your customers that are bringing them to uh, switch into
2: synthetics? I think that there is no dispute that synthetic turf gets hot. It does. It doesn't matter if you use a cool blend synthetic turf, it just gets hot. And when you have live turf, you create a microclimate in that area, which keeps the ambient air cooler within a turf. So I think that's one of, the, one of the biggest drawbacks. And then, you know, next to that would be like a break-even point. The bigger your space is, obviously, the more expensive it'll be to put in synthetic turf. But now you have to calculate how much water are you using to keep your live turf uh, you know, alive, how much is fertilization cost, how much is maintenance cost, all the costs that are associated with keeping that grass green. And typically on an average-sized lawn, I would say a 500 square feet to maybe 2,000 square feet, on average about two and a half to three years, break even. So if you're planning on moving out of your house in six months, probably not worth it. But if you're planning on using it and enjoying it, you'll have a green lawn year-round that you won't really have to do too much with. So if your break
1: evens at three years and it's got a 20-year warranty, that's 17 years to the net at the end
2: of its life. You're doing all right. Yeah, you're doing all right. I'm curious, would you install a sprinkler system with artificial turf to uh, cool down the surface? Have you done that before? We have. Is that a thing? It's a thing, yeah. We, have, we don't do it too often simply because if you have a sprinkle head in the corner you have to cut out your turf where the head is so it can pop up and if anyone changes their mind there's no way to go back and undo that cut so it kinda depends on you know who the customer is I I try to steer people in the direction of portable umbrellas um, shade sails things that you could take away if you wanted to that would give you that shade but wouldn't create a long-lasting effect now, in addition to synthetic
1: turfs, uh, you had mentioned when we were talking this week how m- the supply chain for pavers has corrected itself. There was a long drought period there. There was. there. there was a paver drought, which is interesting because it's not like we ran out of dirt anywhere. But uh, a lot of it was just the amount of material that was getting consumed, you know, keeping up with the manufacturing process to meet that supply is what
2: hit. That's right. Um it's it's almost fully corrected and it's been great because pavers we we put them in a lot and it's kind of the way of the future people are doing their driveways and pavers they're doing patio extensions overlaying back patios they're just kind of updating their space to pavers because there's so much variation in color and style that you can choose from but yeah you're right it's it's uh, since corrected most of them are readily available there's still a couple issues here and there because some of the manufacturers switched uh, their moldings and their colors, but for the most part, it's it's
1: solved. And you were talking about having extra seed. Well, when you have pavers, if you order a little bit more of that brand paver and you've got some place to store it, pavers are much easier to do repair. You know, if you got a tree root that comes up or a water line that breaks it, it's laid over. You know, if that's a concrete or an asphalt surface, the repair work on that, there's no way to blend that. Exactly. It, it, you know, it's always going to look different unless you rip the whole thing out and come back. Pavers give you a lot of flex and repair option and uh, long-term uh, uniform look. Because, I mean, just, just stuff happens out there.
2: Absolutely. We just did a pathway actually maybe a month ago for that exact reason. Tree root popped up the pavers and created this tripping effect and... We pulled it from the front of the door all the way to the city uh, curb, checked the tree root to see if the tree root needed to be there, and it did because it was a main root. So we just elevated our base over it, reset them, and you never know that you know we ever did that, which is, again, the beauty of that. I will say the most common mistake I think that homeowners make with pavers is not writing down what kind they have installed in their house. And in two years, they want to do a new project, and no one knows what it is. A paver's
1: a paver. Well, it's like saying paint's paint. That's right. There's, there's thousands of options and colors and styles. Aaron Merkow, Core Landscape and Irrigation. If somebody wanted to do an irrigation, schedule for an irrigation checkup ahead of the seating, they would reach you at?
2: They could reach us at 602-525-2606.